0: Support for WPR comes from the American Society of Landscape Architects Wisconsin chapter, dedicated to reimagining the design of outdoor spaces for the well-being of all. Examples at wyasla.com. Support for WPR comes from Door County History Days, a celebration of untold stories with museum tours, book signings, readings, and more, June 17th through the 23rd, facebook.com slash Days.
1: The following program is pre recorded. From Buck Studio at Wisconsin Public Radio, this is Zorba Pastor on Your Health. I'm Tom Clark, here again with Family Doc Zorba Pastor, to talk with you about what's new in healthy living. Share some down-to-earth advice and great lifestyle tips to help you get the most out of life. If you have a question for The Good Doc, the number to call is 800-462-7413. And along with your calls, we have
2: some topics to talk about, Zorba. Sunscreens, what should we use, what's good, what's bad. What does the FDA say about this and the CDC? We're going to look into sunscreens a little bit further than we've ever looked before. And multivitamins. You know, I've always been on the fence about multivitamins. They've, you know, the phrase goes, Americans have the most expensive urine in the world because <laughs> we take all of these vitamins. But now there's a study that may show that a multivitamin may actually increase your memory. Hmm. Oh. Well, who knew? Maybe okay. that'll be something Just what that'll I be need. useful. And what's our special <laughs> recipe today? Avocado edamame salad, and I would bet that you don't even know what edamame is, right? No,
1: but I don't care when it says avocado. I just <laughs> I, I just pass on that one. Okay, let's go to the phones now, Zorba, at 1-800-462-7413. 800-462-7413. Our first caller joins us from Pewaukee, Wisconsin. Hi.
3: Hi. Yes, Doctor Pastor and Tom, I wanted to ask a question. Well, when Wisconsin gets progressive enough as our neighboring states to legalize at least the medical uh, cannabis, how does it affect the THC affect a person's heart? Um, there are these gummies that I've heard about, wink, wink, mm-hmm. and another. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> how does it affect the heart and? possibly other organs, uh, if you know, I realize that um, because the feds have yet to put cannabis in a separate class uh, instead of with the hard drugs, that um, since it's less harmful than even alcohol, um, there's not enough research done you this point because of
2: that. Right on the head. For many reasons that we can't go into that really have to do with politics and other things, they put marijuana in the same class as heroin, as opium. And believe it or not, OxyContin is in a lower class than cannabis. Mm-hmm. I mean, give me a break. I mean, I've been talking about this for years. How could the feds put their heads in the sand and not say that cannabis mm-hmm. is actually safer than OxyContin? when we know that OxyContin and other opioids kill 100,000 people a year. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. So the problem is, because it's in that class, the ability to actually study it is greatly curtailed due to federal Rules. You've got to make sure that it's under certain precautions. In other words, they basically are putting up obstacles to actually studying it. And the issue is these drugs are much safer than opioids. And when it comes to chronic pain, they're much safer. Now, do they have side effects? Of course they do. And people who think taking cannabis, cannabinoids, are just as good as, we'll say, the same as eating celery or, you know, because it's a biological, also have their head in the sand. They definitely have side effects. Long-term use has side effects. And we'd like to study it to know who it's good for and who it's not good for. So the answer is, how is it good for your heart? Nobody knows because nobody has done any cardiac studies looking at people with chronic pain who either have, let we'll say, hypertension, previous stroke, previous heart attack. So we don't know where the safety is. Now, if you take it as a gummy, it's different than inhaling it. So we know it obviously doesn't affect the lungs. Uh, but whether or not it adversely affects the heart for taking it intermittently or daily, I don't think anyone really understands what that is. Hopefully in the future... We will know it. Now, do I think that it's probably safe for your heart? I think probably it's safe for your heart, but the scientist in me says, where do I get the idea that it's probably safe for your heart? We know that cannabis is safer than alcohol. We know, for instance, that alcohol is responsible for so many deaths on the roads with automobiles. We know that alcohol is responsible for lots of violence. We know that. We know that people get it out of bars who are drunk at night are more likely, you know, more likely to fight. And people who get out of uh, – in, in Amsterdam, people who get out of cafes, and that's what they're called, tend not to fight. They tend to go to sleep. on the bench so you know I mean and that's kind of where it it sits until the feds finally make a change and what's very interesting is it doesn't make a difference who's in political power whether because you mentioned that the Democrats are the Republicans in Congress and the whether or not the president is a Republican president or a Democratic Democratic president none of them have bothered to take this and they could do it by an administrative change and they don't do it and why don't they do it? Write your congressman. There's Will my rant. Do. I mean, I obviously went off on a rant because it's really upsetting. We should be able to study this. Just like we should be able to study uh, psilocybin and mescaline and its usefulness in people with PTSD. And we can do minimal studies with that. And the data looks quite good for people with severe PTSD from war-torn countries. But we can't study that because Timothy Leary, when he overused it in the 1960s, got that put into the same class as heroin. mm
3: mm-hmm. Got okay. It. Thank you so much for all that input.
2: <laughs> yes, maybe a little <laughs> bit more than you even than you even wanted. So the, real, the reality is, gummies are available for people in Wisconsin who want to cross the border into Illinois and Minnesota. And maybe one day the rules will be changed. I'm not going to hold my breath.
3: Ta da! <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. All, Thanks all so wonderful, lot. and and I love the humor. I love the interplay between you and Tom. And uh, we are longtime supporters, and will continue to be. Thank you, thank you, thank you, very you. Much. thank, you, very thank much. you.
1: Much appreciated. Our number is eight hundred four six two seven four one three. If you have a question for Zorba, but uh, before our next call, Zorba, the trouble with ingredients in sunscreen.
2: Well, that's a big issue because sunscreen, I mean, especially in days when it's out in the summer, but even in the winter, when I go skiing, I wear sunscreen in the winter, you know, contains uh, different materials. And also it has to do with the SPF. Now, first of all, let's talk about sun protective factor, SPF. Anything over 30 doesn't make much of a difference. So if it says 60 or 80 or 90, it doesn't make as much of a difference as reapplying the sunscreen. It turns out once you're at 30, you're home. But if you reapply it more often, you're better. And so that becomes an issue when it comes to sunscreen. Now, I don't like the tacky feeling of oily sunscreens on my on my skin. So I use a spray On the other hand, when you're going to use the spray, if you're going to do it, you don't want to inhale the spray as you're using it because we don't really know what that does in your lungs. So it's not bad, according to the feds, but it's not necessarily good. But the issue with sunscreen happens to be what's in it. So in 2021, the European Commission published opinions on sunscreens with ultraviolet filters, UV filters... And a variety of things, such as something called oxybenzone, homosalicate, and oxycitrine. And it found that two of these may not be safe in the amount of sunscreen. So wait a minute. All of a sudden, we've been using this sunscreen for years. Do you use sunscreen when you go in the sun? Never. Never. How about, you used to go to the Caribbean. Do you use, Did you use sunscreen in the Caribbean? No. Did you burn when you used it, when you went in the sun? No. You didn't Do you go in the sun very I didn't often? I not stay in the sun that long. I was going I, I jumped in the water. Say. You jumped in the water. You didn't go in the sun, so you're not. Carl, do you use sunscreen?
3: Oh, of course, always. Uh, of course, I mean, always. Of course. Now, wait a minute. Of course, always.
2: Now, is this the real Carl or just the Carl who says he's doing something because he says it? Do you use it all the time? This
1: is the real Carl, but that's what artificial intelligence would tell you.
2: <laughs> Wait a minute, Brad was laughing with that. I got a little flip up that. Do you a little, bit of Brad in there. a little bit of Brad in there. But anyway, it turns out that the best, the safest sunscreen is sunscreen that actually contains zinc oxide or titanium dioxide because they're actually not a chemical. They are a nanoparticle that goes on top of your skin that actually is an opaque particle. So if you put lots of it on your nose, it used to be you would see Uh, uh, lifeguards and they would always have all this white sunscreen on their nose because they didn't want their nose to get burned because noses and lifeguards why do noses and lifeguards get burned more than their face (laughs) you know i've never thought about that your nose won't get burned (laughs) but all the rest of you (laughs) what maybe they put it on the nose so people would know they were a lifeguard (laughs) i'm just thinking why does the nose get burned more i know they Probably because the skin on the nose is a little bit thinner. Somebody's going to write me about that. Anyway, nothing over 30 when you look at a sunscreen. If you want to be super safe, it's one with titanium dioxide or zinc oxide. But reapplication of sunscreen is the most important thing. And then when you don't want to get sun, a broad-brimmed hat and wearing appropriate clothes to keep the sun off your skin. Mm. That number again is eight hundred four six two
1: seven four one three. Now, Zorba, we have a voicemail from Springfield, Missouri.
4: My question is, if you're sleeping more than 10 hours and you need to get up in the morning, is there anything other than caffeine pills To be awake, alert, energetic, and able to get things done. Thank you. Goodbye.
2: That is a very good question. So, first of all, the first thing you want to look at if you're groggy up in the morning, is it one of your pills? Are you on pills or medications? Talk to your pharmacist. They have the best information. Doctors, other healthcare providers have it too. But that's kind of the first the first thing to do. Uh, caffeine, reason why people drink caffeine in the morning, pretty much universally in this country, and it is now the morning beverage of choice pretty much almost all over the world, is it wakes you up in the morning from asleep. And that's kind of the way that it is. Some people wake up uh, easier and quicker and some do not uh, our son Eli says when he opens up his eyes in the morning he opens up he's ready to go not me it takes me about 45 minutes or an hour before my brain kind of you know really energizes you don't I don't think, you know, believe that for a second you don't think it takes 45 minutes or an hour no what do you think? I get up what right you, away. My do, what brain What do you is there? do well, during that forty-five minutes? Uh, well, you know what I do. I, ha- I have some coffee. I get up. I let the dog out. I put drops in my eyes because I have dry eyes. Um, I kind of I go to I go to my email to see uh, whether or not I've been written to by very important people. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> 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 it hasn't happened yet. But I'm hoping, you know, maybe the president of the United States will send me an email. Sometimes they do asking me for money, but that's not the email. I've I'm looking for, and then, <laughs> then about, you know, you know, I like it, those personal emails, please give us thousands of dollars, we love you, I thought, right, how many other people do you love? Anyway, I don't wake up for 45 minutes to an hour, my brain just doesn't, just doesn't connect, so some people get up sooner and some other, that's what caffeine is about, there's nothing else I would recommend. Yeah. I wake up, I'm okay. But my uh, okay goes down and down and down. As the day day. goes on? You (laughs) mean so by the time the night comes, you're ready to go to sleep because your brain is not functioning? Before (laughs) before nighttime sometimes.
1: Now, before the break, Zorba, let's do that segment where we give some of your naysayers some airtime. This is Disagreeing with the
2: Dock. Disagreeing. Disagreeing with the Dock. Disagreeing with the doc. Oh, 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 oh. The
1: following voicemail came from a listener named Bob in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, who writes Dr. Zorba, you will probably get lots of rebuttals for your statement to a caller regarding brushing your teeth after eating. You were quite adamant about not waiting an hour after eating to brush. You said, Quite the contrary, you brush your teeth as often as you want to get rid of the stuff on your enamel. However, contrary to your recommendation, Healthline states brushing may be partially bad for your teeth right after breakfast. Waiting 30 minutes to an hour after eating to brush your teeth is the best way to ensure that you're protecting your teeth and not tampering with your enamel. The American Dental Association recommends you wait 60 minutes after eating before you brush, especially after having acidic foods. Mm -hmm. I've read other articles that support that recommendation.
2: I love your show anyway. I love your show anyway. Well, first of all, let's look at function and let's look at what you do. So let's assume, Tom, you go out to restaurants, right, every so often. Right, <laughs> <Yep>. yeah, every <episode. laughs> yes. seven. Right, and uh, and you le- and you're at the restaurant, you know. So uh, thirty minutes later, you're you're at a show. Are you going to say, Oop, oh, I better get up and brush my teeth. No, I, I don't better say leave the seat the show." <laughs> okay. So uh, let's say you're at home and you're having uh, dinner. Okay, so you finish your dinner and uh, you're going to brush your teeth at bedtime. So that'll be 30 minutes. But how about lunch? You're really going to, 30 minutes later, set your alarm. Oh, I've got to brush my teeth right away. You know, 60 minutes later. You've got to look at the fact that most people will forget to brush their teeth. Now... The people at the American Dental Association probably have the ideal teeth, you know, bristly, white teeth. They probably floss three times a day, brush their teeth continuously, keep their teeth just perfect. You know, I sometimes there's a phrase that my son Eli said that I love, perfection is the enemy of good enough. Mm-hmm. Perfection mm-hmm. is the enemy of good enough. So it might be the perfect thing to wait for an hour, but most people, if they get up after they're done and they want to actually – clean their teeth, they're going to clean their teeth afterwards. And an hour later, most people are not going to do that. So maybe, uh, and I will admit this, I was wrong when I said it's really good, just brush it after you eat. What I should have said, it's practical to brush your teeth after you eat a meal, especially an acidic meal. It's ideal to wait one hour. You choose. That's probably what I should have said. So I like I the correction. But once again, perfection is the enemy of good enough. Yeah, I brush my teeth in the morning. And that's it. How about it before you go to sleep at night? Yeah. You're not at – you're not, oh, I brush my teeth twice a day. Carl, once a day or twice a day?
1: I usually do once a day, sometimes twice a day.
2: Sometimes twice a day? You don't do it at bedtime? Brad?
1: Always at bedtime, for sure. But in the morning, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Something to do that
2: day. Yeah, right, right. It takes too long. Yeah, something to do. You mean, yeah, kiss your wife? How about kissing your wife? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Brad, once a day or twice a day? once a day. See, Brad showed a finger. I won't tell you which finger that he showed me to tell me that it's once a day, but he definitely, definitely identified it as once a day. I'm a twice a day and you should floss twice a day. My God, you people have to take care. So you see, here it is. We're now supposed to go out and brush our teeth one hour after we eat. Give me, I mean, we've got a sample showing we don't even get twice a day brushers. Okay, well,
1: I'll, I'll brush
2: two or three times every day. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Zorba told me to do
2: it. Remember, you can write zorbapastor.org if you think I said something wrong on the air. Zorbapastor.org or, of course, through Facebook. Do you think Zorba needs to brush up on his dental uh, advice? <laughs> Just post on our Facebook page or send us an email at... But I think maybe you shouldn't send us an email because then I would be distressed. No, zorba.org, or, of course, on Facebook. More of your calls coming up,
1: more of your emails, and we'll sink our teeth into a tasty (laughs) salad recipe. And after that, we'll brush. All coming up on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX. Clark here with Family Doc Zorba Pastor on Zorba Pastor on your health. Before our next call, Zorba, our recipe:
2: avocado. Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Try it. Try it. Avocado. Go ahead. Edamame. 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 Okay, if you say so. (laughs) Try edamame. It's Japanese. It's actually probably not Japanese, but I mean, uh, J- I often have it in a Japanese restaurant. And these are pea pods. Uh, it's a different kind of a pea. The pea is steamed. You don't eat it raw. And it's really it's really kind of tasty. Uh, obviously, you've never had it, right? Atamami salad. Yeah, atamami. You don't sound excited about this salad. Well, uh, you know what? It's okay. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. you're not excited about everything. If I put down avocado edamame beef salad, then you'd probably be excited, right? We'll we'll run through this (laughs) and then then back to the phones we (laughs) go. Now, do you like avocado? Nah, no, you're not no, avocado. No, I'm not I a love avocado. I mean, I'll just get avocados and just eat them fresh. I just find them absolutely delicious. So, and I use avocado oil in cooking. So, mm-hmm. but for if you like avocado, if you've never had edamame, this is something you ought to look at. edamame, you can often find in your frozen food section of your of your grocery store. I can't even pronounce it. You can't even pronounce <laughs> much, it. Much less you use You can't, can't pronounce it. Yeah. You can't. You can't find it. It sort of reminds me, you know, you know of, of the phrase, if you have to ask how much it costs, you can't afford it. It's kind of the same thing. So start out Mm -hmm. with a half cup of regular green beans, trimmed and cut, fresh green beans cut into two-inch pieces. Half a cup green beans trimmed and cut into two-inch pieces. Pieces. That's right. you got to trim the ends. Half a cup of shelled edamame. You can get them fresh in stores, but you can also get them frozen. I'm glad you kind of bobbled that, too. <laughs> Half a cup of shelled edamame. A bobble. A bobbling edamame. Two tablespoons vo- full of vegetable oil. I'd probably use olive oil. Two big tea vegetable oil. Half a of grated ginger. Half a uh, little tea, grated ginger. Now, how do you store the ginger in your kitchen? <laughs> that's right. That's right. I store the, my ginger in the freezer because, first of all, it grates easier, keeps it fresh, and just take it out and grate it right away. And I'm sure that's what Tom does. That's why he was laughing because everyone knows that Tom has the kitchen to die for. <laughs> Uh, two scallions, finely minced.
1: Two scallions, finely
2: minced. minced. And quarter teaspoon of salt to taste. Quarter little tea salt to if taste. If you've got kosher salt, that's the stuff to use. Mm-hmm. One avocado. An avocado. See it? The avocado's in the name. Got to have an avocado. Mm-hmm. You're going to use a quarter of a lemon. You're going to take a lemon and cut it into quarters. A quarter of a lemon. That's right. Half a cup of probably arugula that is chopped. Half a cup of arugula. Half a cup. Rugula chopped. That's right. If you like cilantro, you're going to put cilantro on top of it to taste. If you don't like cilantro, which is a, maybe a quarter of the people, then you're going to get some parsley to taste. Cilantro or parsley to taste. That's right. So here's what we do. Boil the green beans and the edamame because you've got to cook both of them. They have different tastes and different textures. If you're using the frozen pre-cooked edamame, you can just defrost it and shell it because they're basically uh, – they're actually cooked. In a bowl, mash together the oil. You're mashing it. The oil, grated ginger, scallions, and then put some salt in there. Cut the avocado. Take it out. cut it into cubes. Drizzle it with a little lemon juice. That's why you're taking a quarter of a lemon. You can use half a lemon if you like more, but you're going to drizzle it. Then toss the avocado, the green beans, and the edamame with the dressing. And then when you're finished, put it over the arugula and then put some cilantro on the top of it or parsley on the top of it. And if you like avocado, Mm -hmm. uh, you'll like it. If you like beans, you're going to like this recipe. And if you've never tried edamame, I recommend that you try it because it has a different texture and a different taste. And this is a really, really good salad as a side salad to your favorite dish. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think it's great. Very tasty and it's got a great texture. This will serve two, but if I'm with you, you can have both of them. I'll serve one. If you want the recipe, write us at zorbapastor.org. That's zorbapastor.org. Or don't forget, you can find us through Facebook.
1: And we have a caller now, Zorba, from Milwaukee, Wisconsin.
4: Hi. Hi. Well, I had approximately a month ago... A Cologuard test.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
4: And the test came back positive.
2: hmm And Cologuard, of course, for our listeners, is a, a, a DNA-type test which looks for a possibility that you might have colon cancer. The test is a screening test for colon cancer. So came back positive. hmm
4: Right. Okay. And my primary physician told me that I should do a colonoscopy. Correct. Right. And I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to schedule it. Super. But I'm curious, Dr. Zorba, what your feeling is about these, these different tests. I understand that the Colaguard test has a lot of false positives.
2: Ooh, yeah, that's exactly right. But let me explain a little bit about screening tests because you bring up a good point. So let's uh, look at a mammogram, okay? woman has a mammogram, and the mammogram shows a spot uh, that may be cancer many of those are false positives in other words then you do some other you other things you follow it over time and you go well i don't think it's cancer or you do a biopsy turns out to be benign or you have an examination or you have an ultrasound so all these screening tests have false positives pap tests have false false positives too so the gold standard is actually to do a colonoscopy but colonoscopies don't have they don't have false positives but they have false negatives all tests also miss cancer so the idea behind the colagard is, will it pick up all of the cancers that are there? In other words, what's the false negative rate? In other words, how many does it miss? And it turns out it's in the 95, I think 94 to 95% range, right, right up around there. In other words, it misses very few cancers. Just like colonoscopies can actually miss cancers up near the cecum. If not, you know, there's no test that's perfect. So yes, many of them, not many of them, I don't know the percentage, I'd have to look it up, are false positive. But anyone with a positive coli guard automatically gets a colonoscopy to see whether or not they have a polyp. And it's easier to do the coli guard than to, frankly, do the colonoscopy on everyone. Colonoscopies are expensive, you got to take off from work, you've got to take the Medicaid, you know, got to take this stuff to get the poop out of your colon. You have to, you know, be put into an anesthetic state. So the colon card is a good test, but you are correct. Chances are, there, there's a decent chance that this is a false positive, but you don't know. And how old are you? I am
4: seventy-nine.
2: Seventy-nine, and any history of breast cancer? I mean, of colon cancer in your family? No. No. Okay. So you're seventy-nine. If you pick it up. That'll be a wonderful pickup. And the answer is the colonoscopy. And you're right. There are false positives. So let's hope you have a false positive. And if not, hey, you picked up something before I picked you off.
4: Right. Well, I'm... Scared to death, to be honest with you. Of
2: course, of course. I think everyone I think everyone in that situation would be. You know, you have a positive test that may be cancer. I think being scared is an absolutely appropriate emotion, and you'll be scared until you get the final results. And remember, if they find some polyps, they're going to remove those polyps, and they'll let you know if they're normal polyps or precancerous polyps. It picks up a lot of polyps that are not cancer but are precancerous and can become cancer. And that's the goal. The goal is to pick up these polyps that then are cancer causing polyps. And that is the most common positive finding when you get a colonoscopy after you've had a positive cologar. Precancerous polyps picked up and removed and basically kept from becoming cancer.
4: Okay, then I'm thinking much more positively at this point.
2: Absolutely. You want to pick something off before it even becomes cancer in the first place, and Colargard is great for that.
4: Okay, okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Zorba. I appreciate your time very much.
2: You are most welcome. Thanks for your call. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 800-462-7413 is
1: our number, one 800 four six two seven four one three. Now Zorba we have a voicemail from Washburn, Wisconsin.
3: I was gonna ask Dr. Zorba, uh, you know, I'm waiting to get a hip replacement, but I'm 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 in pain, you know, for about another three weeks. What would you suggest that I might take, my good man? And the show what a great show. Thanks. <laughs> bye <Bye-bye>.
2: bye. <laughs> very nice that very nice that he likes the show. Well first of all, the safest thing to take for pain is Tylenol. You take it in the right dose. If you don't drink uh, more than a drink a day, you can take up to 4,000 milligrams a day. And I recommend that you take one or two long-acting Tylenol generics, acetaminophen, that's what it is. There's 650 milligram tablets. And if you take two, three times a day, every eight hours, that may work for you. So you take two in the morning when you get up, two at night when you go to sleep, and two in the middle of the day, sometime that you remember. And that may work for you. If that doesn't work, anti-inflammatories work really well, and especially if you don't have uh, you know, significant kidney disease. I would use over-the-counter. I like naproxen. I think it's better because it's only twice a day versus ibuprofen, but either one works. So it would be two over-the-counter naproxen. They all come in two 20-milligram tablets, two tablets, tablets twice a day, every 12 hours. That'll work. Or ibuprofen, I would take up to six to 800 milligrams. That would be three to four tablets every eight hours. And frankly, the uh, anti-inflammatory ibuprofen and naproxen is going to work better, but some people do well with the acetaminophen and that's safer. So I would always start out with that. That's what you want to take before the surgery. The other thing you want to do before the surgery is the pre-surgical exercises. You've got to get those muscles really strong before you have the surgery because you're going to recover quicker if you do that.
1: 1-800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. Now, before we take a short break, Zorba, we always appreciate our listeners posting on our Facebook page. Time again for Facebook Feedback. Facebook
2: Feedback.
1: Okay, Zorba, this is from Kim in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, who writes, A while back, a caller asked about stem cell therapy for knees. You responded that it
2: wasn't available yet. Is it now? Well, it's not available from an FDA point of view. There are people that do stem cells because uh, they manufacture them themselves. And it's just like a lot of other, if we'll say, over-the-counter type medications. So you can actually get stem cells, but there's no proof the stem cells actually do something. Now... Many of the providers who actually inject stem cells will say there's proof, but the answer is the proof is very shaky. The scientific evidence is not there from my read, so I always recommend against it because, any, you know, I'm a scientist. That's what I look at. I look at the science. And, of course, anytime you get any injection, there's a placebo effect. Placebo effect is effective in the short term 40% of the time. In other words, people who get a sham injection of just saline into their knee, 40% of the time will say it really feels better. And we know that saline doesn't do anything inside the knee. So, buyer beware. If you decide to get it, go to a reputable place. But remember, every time something enters your knee, you run a risk of infection.
1: As always, thanks for all Facebook comments. And if you have a healthy living question for the good doc. Just post on our Facebook page, or you can always send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. More of your calls coming up, another interesting topic to discuss, and more listener emails as well. All that coming up on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. Tom Clark here with Family Doc Zorba Pastor. 800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. But Zorba, before our next call, multivitamin improves memory in older
2: adults, according to a study. Well, very interesting. So I've always been on the sort of fence about multivitamins. I felt Especially because there were long-term studies that they weren't doing very much, but this study contradicts that thought of mine. So, study out of Harvard, thirty-five hundred adults, randomly sixty years of age and older, randomly assigned to taking a daily multivitamin or a placebo for three years. Okay, at the end of each year, they performed a series of online cognitive assessments at home for memory function. So Mm -hmm. in other words, a computer test that was looking at memory function, specifically more of an area of the hippocampus, which is involved in immediate memory. The study called the Cosmos Web Study was actually part of a large study at Peter uh, Peter Brigham and Women's Hospital. So at the end of year number one, people taking the multivitamin were better than the people taking the placebo at the end of year number one, and that sustained over the period of the entire study. And they thought, based on when they look at cognitive decline in older adults, that taking the multivitamin was equivalent to roughly reducing three years of memory decline that often happens in people who are older. In other words, it actually stopped a memory decline. And this was especially important in people who had cardiovascular disease, uh, heart failure, heart attacks, previous heart attacks, uh, we'll say hypertension. So they were actually better. And this was consistent with another study, Cosmos study, that had to do with about 2,000 people in the study. So the bottom line here is that taking an inexpensive multivitamin may actually help prevent cognitive decline. I mean, and I'm now going to go on the side of the bandwagon. I'm always on the cusp of should we do it or should we not do it. I'm back on the cusp of do it. So which multivitamin should you get? You can spend a lot of money on these things, right? I mean, if you go to the grocery store the pharmacy store, Tom, you will see multivitamins that cost lots of money per month, $30 or $60 a month, and you'll see multivitamins that may cost you $30 for the entire year. My recommendation, buy a house brand... That's equivalent to, we'll say, Centrum. That's a, a a well-known multivitamin. Look at the label. If it has 100% of all the multivitamins you need, and if it says USP approved, that's the US Pharmacopeia, that means that vitamin absorbs into your body. Keep it cheap. Spend the rest of your money on fresh fruits and vegetables. And I'm now pro-multivitamin without iron, not with iron, for everyone, especially over the age of 60. Um. What was that phone number again? <laughs> you need 800 you need that Bugsy vitamin.
1: Something <laughs> eight hundred. Oh, it'll come to me. Oh, let's, let's welcome a listener now, Zorba. A call from Crystal Lake, Illinois.
0: Hi. Hi. Thank you for taking my call, Tom and Doctor Zorba. Welcome. Um, I have an interesting thing for me, at least. I have an elevated alkaline phosphatase, and uh-huh. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly.
2: No no, 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 you are. You did a great job. You can go to medical okay. school anytime. <laughs>
0: and, <laughs> since, like, 2019, uh-huh. it has been in a 119
2: to 141 range. Uh, so it's in the abnormal range. And what you had an ultrasound of your gallbladder? What did you have checked?
0: Yes, I had an mm-hmm. ultrasound of the gallbladder, mm-hmm. and they found that I have constricted bile ducts. I oh, got it. So they want me mm-hmm. to have an MRCP. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested in first of all, what does alkaline phosphatase do, and your thoughts on an MRCP?
2: Well, first of all, it's a it's a measurement that we use to see whether or not. Uh, there's certain liver dysfunction or obstruction. So it's one of the liver enzymes when we look at something called SGOT, SGPT, or GGT, alkaline phosphatase, and we look at those. And if there's an elevated alkaline phosphatase, it can mean a bunch of things. For instance, we get that uh, in very large amounts in certain forms of cancer. So there are other things that will also elevate it. But it's commonly elevated if there are problems in the gallbladder. And so, you've got some constriction of the bile duct, and the question is, is it constricted such that they should go in and sort of ream it out? Is there a little stone in there, or is the bile duct itself kind of tightening up for some reason? So, if they're doing, uh, there's an something called an ERCP, and that's with a uh, and that's with a gastroenterologist. But they're doing an ERCP with an MRI. Is that what they're doing?
0: No, they're, well, they said they're doing an MRCP, and Mm -hmm. then depending upon the results of that, they would have them do an ESCP?
2: ERCP. So when they're doing an MRCP, that means, once again, it's another imaging study to look at this duct to see if they can find I don't know if it's
0: helpful at all, but I don't have a gallbladder anymore.
2: Oh, then then what they're looking for is not, (laughs) because you don't have the gallbladder, is what's causing the problem in that duct. In other words, do you have something abnormal in there like a tumor, right? Okay. That would be what they would be looking for. Is there evidence that you have a bile duct tumor? Uh, You may not have the bile duct in there, but you have something in there. Or is there some other thing that's causing the obstruction? And so... They're obviously looking at the imaging study before they have the gastroenterologist. And you just answer the question, why aren't they going to the ERCP right away? And the answer is you don't have gallbladder. So that's kind of what they're looking for. Once again, these imaging studies are very good. They're very accurate. They've got a very good rate of finding out what it is. But more importantly, they also have a very good rate of saying, do we have to do other studies such as direct visualization of that area? With a scope, they I would be have. Worried? Uh, well, if they found something that was large, they would have it done sooner, and they would say, "We've got to look at this right away." So, in other words, okay. I mean, that would be my my thought. In other words, I mean, I haven't looked at the report, but if usually if they find something that's very direct, they'll say, "We've got to do something about this." And the reality is, they probably didn't find anything, and that's why they're doing this. In other okay. words they usually do this when they when they it's negative, but you've got this elevated ALKFOS, and they have to figure out what it is and they have to find out if there's something small that's going on. But then they will look, If they don't find anything. They may look for other tests to see if there's something uh, something else that's happening. ALKFOS is actually, uh, although we look at it from a liver gallbladder point of view, it also really has to do with bone. So they may look for other things that may be involved. I would have to, you know, it's interesting because it as, as you're asking me this, my brain, my hard disk is whirring, whirling in my brain. I can hear it whirling. And I'm thinking, what would I do if I were in my office and you asked me this question? So let me just tell you what I would do because I think it's important you know, for people to look at this. So I would I'd be at my computer. I've got a computer, obviously. I'd go to something called UpToDate. UpToDate is a medical reference that is updated every year. And when you look at the article you're looking at, it tells you who's responsible for that article and when it was updated and when it was last looked at. So you know you're getting the latest, best information. We frankly don't use books anymore for the most part because they're old by the time they actually get published. So I would look at UpToDate. I would look at what elevates elk phosphatase. And then I would look at your... Uh, history in your chart and determine what testing I would be doing. And I'm going to make an assumption that your doctor does something like that, especially since they ordered this very specialized test of an MRCP. So that's what my guess is they're doing. But that's what I would do in my office. And I could get a hold of that data of what I would follow up with. I could look at it, read it, and get an evaluation, certainly in three to five minutes, in other words. And as I read it, I would then learn something myself about what's going on in my practice because that's what medicine is all about. It's looking at references all the time for people who may not fit into the normal paradigm of uh, elevated fast, check the gallbladder. Okay. I hope that's helpful to walk you through. Now, you asked me, should you be worried? I think you should be concerned, but I don't think I'd be worried. I think I'd, okay. that's that's what I would do if it, if if we elevated, mine I would say, well, we got to do the testing. I'm concerned about it, but I'm really not worried about it because I'm not going to get an answer. And if there's a question, call your doc.
0: Well, you know, and it's interesting because when they put the order out there, they put a, they put like a time on it when mm-hmm. it would expire. They made it August of 2024, so that kind of told me it wasn't super critical.
2: Right. Right. Um, now, is your doc on my chart or an electronic yeah. chart? Uh, yeah. Send it, a, send it onto to chart because you want them to look at it and say, should I be concerned? Send a little note there. Very short note to see that because your doc knows what's going on.
0: Okay. I will do that today. Okay. Thanks thanks for your Thank call. Thanks you. for listening. All right. I'm a long-time listener. I tell you, I love your show, and I always get some – tidbit out of it. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks.
1: Thanks very much. You thank, take care we now. We appreciate the call. Thanks a lot. 800-462-7413 is our number. 800-462-7413. Yep. Okay, Zorba, let's pry open the Zorba Pastor on Your Health inbox and take an email from Derek in Elmina, Wisconsin, who writes... Hi Dr. Zorba. I've been on a weight loss journey over the past year and a half. I managed to lose about 70 pounds through oh a combination. My God, that is huge. Yeah, through a combination of significant calorie restriction, dirty keto, and lots of walking. What's keto?
2: Oh well, that's what's keto and what's dirty keto. So a keto diet, a ketogenic diet, is a diet that emphasizes protein over carbohydrates, over fruits and vegetables. So there's dirty keto, which is a subclass of keto. This is just very similar to the subclass of the grammar police that we have. So dirty keto is you don't pay attention to food quality. So maybe you eat a greasy burger versus a lean uh, you know, you know, versus a lean piece of protein. And dirty keto people who just swallow dirty keto, and I say swallow, are eating nothing but protein and they like to have nothing green on their plates. So that's a dirty keto diet versus a clean keto diet, which is actually a better diet. (laughs) Uh,
1: I continue. For some context, I'm a 24 year old male, six foot two inches, 230 pounds. I'm trying to get into running, but running more than a mile or so causes knee pain for the following two or three days, and there are things I can do to
2: avoid the knee pain, or do I need to be content with just walking? Well, first of all, the answer is there are a few things you do. What I would do initially because I don't know why he actually has knee pain is I would go for a while I build up my uh, my muscles, my core muscles, my quads by going on a bike. I would do an exercise bike 20 minutes a day like 3 or 4 days a week to build that up or I do something called quad sets. You can look it up, quad sets on YouTube to build up those quad muscles and your knees might be better. But at 24, your knees should not hurt you. It might be the shoes you're wearing, might be the warm-up you're not doing, and you can go to an exercise physiologist or a trainer to see what you can do. So I wouldn't give up on running. Also, you're going to have more knee pain if you're running on concrete than uh, than you are on grass. So there are lots of things you can do to try to keep from getting that knee pain. And then if that fails, get an evaluation by a healthcare professional. Were you once jamming
1: out to T-Pain, and now you're dealing with nothing but knee pain? (laughs) Just post your question on our Facebook page or send us an email at... Zorba at WPR.org. 800-462-7413 is our number. That's 1-800-462-7413. Okay, let's hear another voicemail this health tip comes from a listener in Madison, Wisconsin.
0: I haven't had hiccups in years, but what I was told and seemed to work for me if I got kind of nonstop ones is to uh, get a full glass of water and swall- keep on swallowing as long as you can that it's a the it's, uh, hiccups come from disruption of your uh, swallowing and breathing order, and that always
2: worked. Thank you, Sorba. Bye. So hiccups come from the phrenic nerve, and I don't know why, but but seeing hiccups in infants is always so funny. Don't you agree, Carl? That it's funny. Yeah. You know, when you see infants and they're hiccuping, you're always smiling because, I mean, their whole body shakes when they hiccup. It's like they go, hiccup, their whole body shakes, and they have no idea what's happening because I've seen it with the infants. It tends to stop when they're about a year. Hiccup in an adult is not funny. Not funny for the adult, but I do laugh when somebody gets hiccups. So it's basically getting that phrenic nerve to calm down. She's got a great idea. I bet other people also have great ideas on how to cure hiccups, and I would welcome the most... Unusual hiccup cure that you have because if you sent it to us, we might just read it on the air. I don't tend to hiccup. Well, I think you know what? Hiccups are for young people and you're old. (laughs) I sure am. 800 462
4: 7413
1: is our number. 1 800 462 7413. But before we head out today, Zorba, it's time to unholster your gavel and powder up
2: your parliamentary <laughs> wig. This is the segment I've we I've got to get call. a wig. i got to get a wig. I'm going to get a wig. I'm not going to get the powder because I'll probably sneeze. I, and then we're going to put it on our Facebook page along with the gavel. The time has come to trademark the gavel and the wig and the answers from this show and we will trademark that picture and then we'll distribute it free of charge. Oh. <laughs> but before before that, Zorba. Wait a minute, I gotta is... check out I gotta check out the gamble. Yeah, it's working. <laughs> <laughs>
1: anyway, we have a segment now we call Judge Zorba. Da-da-da. Okay, Zorba. We hear that you have your digital gavelog. I do. It's between two digits. Your eye gavel.
2: <laughs> the
1: following email
2: came to us from Jennifer in Brookfield, Wisconsin. Okay, right. Jennifer. We're ready. Judge Zorba is here. I'm not Judge Judy. I'm Judge Zorba.
1: To continue. Hello, Doctor Zorba. My husband is a regular listener, and he claims. He heard you say Ah, that surgeons sometimes use crazy glue in their operations. Now he's decided that he can apply crazy glue to some of his dermatological conditions. I think this is a bad idea. My husband is long overdue for a dermatology full-body exam, so needs to schedule that rather than try Home Remedies. Will you clarify how crazy glue can be used for medical problems? Also, would you encourage my
2: husband (laughs) to go to a dermatologist? (laughs) Thank you much. I am ready to render my judgment. Here we go. She's right. He's wrong. Now, let me tell you why he's wrong. First of all, I didn't say crazy glue. I said super glue. So, first of all, it's very different. Super glue is different than crazy glue, although crazy glue is a type of super glue. Get super glue. Second of all, I didn't say it for all dermatological conditions. I said if you're out in the woods and you've got a little laceration and you've got to heal it up, sometimes you can just use a little super glue, push it together, and you're done. Got to be careful that your fingers don't get stuck to your hand when you're actually doing it. But it sounds like he may be putting crazy glue over other things, such as skin cancer. Crazy glue or super glue is not a cure for skin cancer. Therefore, she's right, he's wrong. Okay, thanks for separating crazy glue from what was the other <laughs> super one? Glue, super super glue. glue.
1: Super glue. Have Clearly, a sti-
2: you you don't go to the hardware store and get glue. <laughs> Clearly, you are not a glue master. Got it. Uh, <laughs> do you have a
1: sticky case you need settled? Just <laughs> post on our Facebook page or send
2: us an email at... Zorva at WPR.org.
1: See you next week, Zorba. Stay well, Tom. If you missed anything during the show, or you just want to stream the show online anytime, visit us on the web at ZorbaPastor.org or, of course, through Facebook. And don't forget, you can call us anytime to leave us your question at 800-462-7413. Zorba Pastor on Your Health is a production of Wisconsin Public Radio. It's not intended as your medical diagnosis, so please do check with your doc. Our executive producer is Carl Christensen. Our technical director is Brad Colbert. Our theme music is by Leo and Ben Sidron. For Zorba Pastor, I'm Tom Clark, asking you to join us on the next Zorba, Zorba Pastor, Pastor on Your Health. health.
0: Did you miss something on today's show? Simply go to ZorbaPastor.org to catch up on all things Zorba. There you will find recipes from the show, links to the Facebook page, Zorba's Healthy Living Articles, and you can subscribe to the weekly podcast. On the web, that's ZorbaPastor.org.
3: From P-